Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Episode 316, Sam Sykes. And now, constructed on a Zeppelin by an apprentice mage and delivered by a rocket ship to a benevolent dragon, Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing. Welcome to Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, your podcast for science fiction and fantasy media. This is Brent Bowen. I am without Christy Cherish again today. I've been traveling and dealing with crises on multiple fronts. Um, None life-threatening to me, but enough to be upsetting. And so Christy and I haven't been able to connect. I'll get to the crises in a little bit. It shouldn't impact our shows too much, but there might be a bit of a a short-term blip. Matter of fact, we didn't have a show this past week because in part of one of the items on the home front. But if you want to hear from Christy and Rob Matheny, matter of fact, they're here and present in this episode because today we are joined by author Sam Sykes. And Christy and Rob were both interested in chatting with him, and it was long overdue as we last had Sam on around episode 100, I believe. I think it was episode 103, if memory serves me correctly. Sam is the author of the Aeon's Gate series. He writes dark fantasy, mostly, and... The more recent, you might be familiar with the more recent Science Gate series where Christy, in this interview, Christy and Rob spend most of their time talking with him about the book The City Stained Red, which was the inaugural book in the Science Gate series. They touch on book two a little bit, uh, but spend most of their time on The City Stained Red. As much time, and this is as entertaining, if not more entertaining than the actual book talk, They, Christy and Rob spent some time chatting with Sam about Grimdark, and his point of view on Grimdark is rather interesting, as well as social media and convention etiquette. And Sam could be an authoritative figure to speak on social media. I think the number they threw out at the time during the interview, and this was a couple of weeks ago, I'd have to check and see where he's at today when I'm where I'm recording this. Sam was at like 139,000 tweets, which is absolutely ridiculous. And I've been on Twitter for years and years and years, at least since 2009, I've been on Twitter and I think I'm at five or 6,000 tweets. So to think about 139,000 tweets is it's is absolutely ridiculous. So you'll enjoy that talk and it's coming up in a bit. A couple items I wanted to mention before I let you on to the interview is and something that's a little ridiculous is last week I big oversight on my part in episode 315 when we were with Rod Duncan, I neglected to thank Greg Palachi, which I need to make sure that I share a public Thanks to Greg Palachi for the wonderful Archipelagon series he did earlier in the year. He brought us four episodes, certainly some international inclusion in in the show. So I want to thank Greg for 
his contributions to the show. And I expect Greg will continue to contribute to the show in some way, shape or form, whether it's reviews or doing some other interviews when the opportunities present themselves. So again, thanks, Greg. Really appreciate the effort and the product with some tremendous episodes for the show. With that, I wanted to to talk about what the show will look like over the next couple of months. Obviously, we missed a week, and one of the things we've been committed to do and have been doing regularly is bringing you a show each and every week, with the exception of holidays and the occasional life blip, and that's kind of what we had this last week. I was traveling. We fully expected to have this show out to you, but I ended up, while I was traveling, And before I I left for my travels, ended up having uh, one of the members of our family is the four-legged variety. We discovered he contracted cancer. And as soon as I returned from my trip, unfortunately, we had put our our beloved golden retriever, Rufus, to sleep uh, as he had contracted cancer and, and had just wreaked all sorts of havoc with his digestive system. Uh, It was essentially inoperable and and terminal. So it was a a sad moment and and something that um, I'm going to have a hard time getting over as uh, I I know people differ and vary on how they treat their pets, but uh, he was certainly a member of the family and seen as a connection, a last connection to my father-in-law because it originally been my father-in-law's dog. So Tough moment in the, the moment in the Bowen household and will continue to be for several weeks. It shouldn't affect the show, obviously. I mean, it was the one one blip, and we, we expect to bring you a show almost every week. I know we're getting to, into holiday season, both here in the States and internationally, and as we're getting closer to November and December, and so... You know, it may be, and I'll have some travel in mid-October, I'm going to Paradise Icon, and that might affect a show delivery, because when I'm someplace, I like to fully immerse myself in the experience of the time that I'm having with the people that I'm with. So we might or might not have a show that week that I'm at uh, Paradise Icon, we'll see. But you should generally expect a show every week with maybe a blip here or there, throughout the rest of the year. And then after that, once we turn the corner and get into 2016, we'll be back on kind of a regular schedule of of a show every week. So till the holidays hit again. But anyway, just want to give you a heads up that, you know, if you're checking the feed, seems like a lot of our folks are maybe a week or two behind anyway, we've been as we've been producing a lot of content. But on that note, we'd love to hear from you as well. So if you have any feedback, definitely jump online to the site, come on social media. I've been seeing several tweets. If you're waiting on a response, you've entered one of our book giveaways. Thanks for your patience. I'm catching up with some of these crises. So, and I will be announcing some winners of some contests here soon. Matter of fact, there are two contests that one really long overdue where we'll be announcing the winners here shortly. So watch your email, watch social media, And I'll announce them on the show next episode as well. But until that time, everybody take care and give us a quick shout out. All right. Take care, everybody.
This episode is brought to you by the second star series from Josh Hayes. In book two, The Forgotten Prince, fighter pilot Lieutenant John McNeil narrowly escaped the powerful and deadly Regency and is desperately trying to come to grips with the truth about Neverland. His new friendships are formed and new enemies are made as John struggles to find his place in this strange new world. They have a plan to win back their home and save their world, but there is one thing they haven't counted on. Rumors of a new arrival bring the Lord of Neverland back to the city and he will stop at nothing to see that his power is unchallenged. His mission is simple, find the intruder from the other side erase all memory of his existence, and crush the resistance for good. The time for bedtime stories is over. The final battle for Neverland has begun. Book one in the series, Breaking Through, is currently free on Kindle and iBooks and available on Open Books. To learn more, come to the show notes, episode 316, and click on the image that you will see from... The Forgotten Prince by Josh Hayes. Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing, Christy Cherish and... Rob Matheny. Who some of you may recognize as our buddy from Crim Tidings Podcast and our awesome sound guy. Today we're joined for the very first time by Sam Sykes author of Aeon's Gate series and The City Stained Red, the first book in the Bring Down Heavens trilogy, which was released in April and then again in October 2014 and received some serious high praise from the science fiction and fantasy community. John Scalzi's weighed in on Sam's work before, saying that he does not wish him dead. Described as fantasy with a strong helping of dark humor, violence, and chaos, Sam, thanks for joining us on the show. Uh, Tell us a bit about yourself and what you write. Hi there. I am Sam Sykes. I'm six foot four. I have a pair of blue shoes that I sometimes wear, and they're a touch obnoxious. And I wear them specifically to annoy other people without trying. And that way, if anyone takes exception to it, they look like jerks. And that's, you know, pretty much all you need to know about me. I write the Bring Down Heaven trilogy, which is sort of a story about adventurers doing their best to try to make it in a world that really wants to kill them. And the new book has been out for a while, and it's doing pretty well, and I'm extremely thrilled that people seem to like it. So I, I, I've been reading The City Stained Red, and one thing that occurred to me is I know that the Bring Down Heaven series occurs in the same universe as another series you wrote. And I, I'm sort of thinking about it. I'm calling it Aeon's Gate. Am I even pronouncing that right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, yes! For once I've gotten the pronunciation. So I didn't have a chance to read Aeon's Gate just because of availability up in Canada. Is it the same characters? And are the two series sequential? Because it's something I've been wondering as I've been reading, uh, and, and do you think anybody needs to read Aeon's Gate before The City Stained Red? The stories do involve the same characters, but no, there is absolutely no need to read the Aeon's Gate first. 
you can start with the city stained red and I actually think it probably reads better if you start with uh, Bring Down Heaven because it's almost like Aeon's Gate is a prequel but it feels like a prequel is something you need to write after you write the main thing but in this case I just wrote it first. Another thing I've been noticing, so I when I was originally looking up the city stained red there were covers that kept popping up and I, I, you know, it's, it's sort of this, um, a thing where I was wondering, you know, if it was maybe a, you know, uh, a, what is that proof they call it for, for two different, um, alternate universes that coincide, but I started finding titles that were a city stained red and I was kind of wondering which of those titles came first or why there was the difference between the two. We started with A City Stained Red, but then it just got floated by that The City Stained Red might resonate better. And I agreed with that, so we just changed it to The City Stained Red. There's really, you know, it's, it's not quite as interesting as alternate universes, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Sam, you've been on my radar for quite some time, ever since you pretty much popped on the scene uh, with the Aeon's Gate trilogy. So I'm, it's a privilege for, for me to speak with you today, to say the least. Uh, I've been keeping an eye on you for quite some time. So for folks who haven't heard of you or heard much about you, could you maybe give us an overview of how you kind of got into publishing and writing? I wrote a book, and then someone liked that book and bought it. I got an agent, and then I showed him my book, and... He liked it, and he sold it to a bunch of publishers. But I have never wanted to do anything but write, so, you know, it's not a hugely complex story. When you were a kid, were there certain things that influenced you, like comics or games or Saturday morning cartoons, or what was kind of your genesis into becoming a storyteller? I don't know. Like, I think it all started with the fact that I was always getting in trouble for lying in, in class and I feel like every every good storyteller is begins as a good liar because they you know they have they have a need to make what they're doing in their in their daily lives more interesting uh, as far as influences go I don't I've this has been a subject that's been really interesting to me lately uh, I feel like we are entering a point in writing where it's okay to say that you had way more influences than, say, just other books. Because, like, when I started writing and, you know, everyone was talking about their own influences, it was always like, oh, yes, I was very influenced by Tolkien, I was very influenced by uh, C.S. Lewis, whatever. You know, I think a lot of people would not want to say, like, oh, I was influenced by uh, video games or comic books, because it doesn't sound quite as respectable. Yeah, I was definitely influenced by all those things. I was a huge gamer. In fact, a lot of my first forays into fantasy came from Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. And, like, immediately after playing that, I thought, wow, that is really cool. People with swords and whatnot, and... and monsters and dungeons and stuff, I want to, I, I, I must write something like that. And so like very crude beginnings, I just sort of wrote really weird, crude stuff like that and that just sort of evolved over time. 
Nice. Any more copies of those early stories laying around anywhere? Nope. Burned. (laughs) (laughs) What are some of the games that you find now for story or that you're playing now or you love the stories and are influencing you now? I feel like my style has kind of solidified. So, like, I don't really get influenced quite as much. It's all a matter of actually, like, appreciating the story now and... You know, whatever whatever influences me is just sort of taken, you know, piece by piece rather than influences wholesale. I was just playing Batman Arkham Knight, which has just some of the most amazing story I have ever seen, despite being like a strange a strange game, but it is it is an incredibly incredibly complex, very powerful story that I really loved. I've also been playing The Witcher 3. Yeah. Wild Hunt. So have I. It's also tons of fun. But, you know, an entirely different kind of story. Yeah, now, The Witcher, and that, that, that definitely has some, some grim, dark elements. Um, now, dark humor, violence, and chaos are words that are often used by fans to describe your work. What do you think appeals to you about these elements, and would you consider yourself a grim, dark author? No. No, I wouldn't. Grimdark, I feel, is defined mostly by its end result. I feel like Grimdark means that in the end, nothing really gets better. There's no real emphasis to try or to or to fight very hard because, you know, what's the point? So a lot of the battles in Grimdark are just of pure necessity. Nothing really changes as a result of them. Whereas, you know, the entire point of Bring Down Heaven is that you have these people who want to stop fighting, who want to be more than just killers, and it's, it proves incredibly hard, but they never stop trying. And I feel like that's, that's very much not a grimdark thing. But, you know, if anyone wants to call me grimdark, it, sure, why not? Whatever gets you to buy the book. <laughs> But it's something where your books, they do have some of those traits, which, um, you know, you can see a bit of the appeal for it. Right. One of the authors that you you tweet a bit, and as I've been reading The City Stained Red, it reminds me, sort of reminded me a bit of Patrick Weeks, who has the Prophecy Con. And it's, it's, you both share, I know the two of you chat on Twitter sometimes, but you both share that comedic comedic element and sort of team element of your work but yours almost seems like it's it's the more it's got more of that mature view to it so do you think there there are traits you share with grimdark or do you find that you know you you share you share interest with some of those authors genre and subgenre are not crystallized things they're very they're very fluid like you can take elements of of one genre and easily apply it to your work without uh, having to take the whole thing. And, you know, like, what what about it is grimdark? Is it because there's a lot of fighting, a lot of death? Because a lot of fantasy has that. You know, as, as far as what I have in common with other authors, you know, I, I we all write in the same genre, so I'm sure there's uh, similarities. We don't actually, like, trade tropes or anything. I think in in Patrick's case, we just both realize that a joke can sort of 
loosen the audience up so that when you want to break their heart, it hits them a little harder because they were just laughing a second ago. Christy touched on social media, and you are incredibly prolific and very entertaining on, on Twitter. Not only that, I think you may have the highest amount of tweets I've seen out of most authors out there. I think you're clocking at around 137,000 tweets. I'm looking at it right now, and it's 139,000. So. <laughs> <laughs> you like Twitter. That's cool. But on Twitter and, and on Facebook, you, uh, you're you very smart and very brilliant and, uh, and fun to read. You've been posting uh, some pictures lately on Facebook, too, of some artwork as well. Let's see, there was one picture of Brian McClellan getting chased down by a, uh, what was an owlbear. Right. Uh, in addition to um, Adventure Pug, Princess Combat Boots, and Business Beholder. Now, are you, are you leaning towards getting into the more art and illustration end of things, or are these just for fun? These are just for fun right now. I used to draw a lot as a kid, and I was dissatisfied with my current skill set. like a few months ago so I started drawing again and trying to teach myself how to do it and while you know I've actually had tons of help it uh it's definitely a lot of fun I don't think I'm at a point where I can devote time to doing it professionally over writing but every every creative aspect that you do enhances all other creative aspects so drawing and art definitely enhance your writing, just like acting will enhance your writing and writing will enhance your drawing and so forth. So it's really just a, it's not only fun, it's just a good investment. Yeah, and you can definitely find some, some balance by seeking out other creative outlets. Are there any other creative outlets that you cling on to besides art? At the moment, not really. Like. You know, when I was younger, I acted, I drew, I did all these interesting things. These days, you know, I I don't have time for much of that anymore. I don't, I don't, I would not want to get involved with another theater troupe because, holy crap, that's that's quite a commitment. Um, So these days, it's mostly just art and drawing, but, you know, whatever else comes along, maybe sculpting eventually. Awesome. Getting back to the idea of Twitter, the nature of Twitter is often to sort of invite people into their lives. And you do a very good job of keeping your life fairly private. And I'm just wondering, with the nature of Twitter, how do you balance the two? Mostly, I am not afraid to make a conscious decision to push people out of my life when they try to get too close. You know, that's not to sound dramatic or anything. It's just if I if I don't want someone getting as close as they are trying to, I have absolutely no problem encouraging them to step back. Uh, and I feel that's something a lot of people do not want to do because they feel uh, they feel like it might be rude or that they're missing the point of Twitter by maintaining that privacy. But I think that's huge. My rules for using social media are very simple. And the first one is say nothing that you aren't comfortable being around for 50 years minimum and assume everyone wants to kill you. 
because <laughs> by, by and large, anyone who's on social media is at least not opposed to the idea of killing you. <laughs> I think it does. It does take a lot of like a, a, a lot of conscious decisions to maintain that privacy, and I think that's hugely important for anyone who wants to use social media because, like it. Like it's it's always just been very weird to me to have like strangers comment on things, and like for example, there there are times when I'll be joking with Mike Cole, and uh, you know we we banter back and forth quite a bit, and since we're friends, we can like tease each other quite often, and it makes for some funny stuff. But then someone will see that and like try to get in on the teasing. And, you know, it works when I'm teasing Mike, because Mike knows me, Mike, and has known me for years, and knows, I mean, no offense, but some random person who he has never met before comes in and is just like, hey, you know, like, hey, Mike, yeah, screw you. <laughs> and suddenly the conversation is very awkward, because, yeah. like, oh, boy. So in situations like that, you kind of need to push some folk out you're also on the convention circuit as well and when you're interacting with fans do you find that there's an expectation you know either either through twitter or or through personal you know personal contact with with fans at conventions of allowing people in it's a good question uh i i think I, like, there's definitely an expectation that you need to do more than just sort of hawk your book. <laughs> you know, you definitely want to appear as a well-rounded individual rather than someone who is just, you know, trying to force people to buy your book. You definitely want more going on. But I feel like there is there are boundaries that you can enforce, and I don't, I don't think it's... Uh, cheating anyone if I choose to say talk about what video game I'm playing and how I feel about it rather than you know what I where my grandma and I ate dinner when she came like I feel I feel like my I feel like at cons the first impetus is to put on a good show to make sure everyone feels that coming to this convention to see me was worth it and, you know, this is why I like doing panels, because people will show up and be like, oh, what a great time. Hopefully. You know, <laughs> there are some people who have been like, God, we completely, Sam Sykes completely wasted an hour of our lives and get back. I've never thought that. I, I particularly have always enjoyed your world-building panels. I thought they were always really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy those too, but uh, I, I try to be entertaining. And I don't feel, I have never met a fan who, like, wants to know more and feels cheated if they don't get it. Most of my fans are, you know, very, actually, I would say, like, pretty much all of my fans are extremely polite and, you know, are happy to participate in whatever topic I put down. And, you know, I'm always happy to answer questions from them. The people who ask rude or personal questions are usually not people who read me. They are just people who prefer to ask rude and personal questions. 
you know, one of the things that I, whenever I, whenever I see, read your blog, you, you're very sensitive to the idea of, you know, personal space and boundaries with fans and, and people. I've always sort of wondered, are there ever any instances where you've been on the other end and you've maybe broached a boundary with authors? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I... Like, one thing I try to make clear in those blog posts is that, you know, it's not a it's not a death sentence or, you know, a, a black mark against you should you violate a social boundary. It just happens. And, you know, it certainly happened to me several times. I have become too familiar with someone who didn't know me quite so well. I've violated personal space before. It's all... And, you know, like, I don't... I don't spend a lot of time, you know, while it was certainly embarrassing to have that revealed to me, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how it was embarrassing. I'm just, I just thought, well, all right, we did that and that was not appropriate, so I will change it for next time. You know, I, it, it's very fashionable in social media to publicly shame people and I, I don't think that works. As far as anything, so I am much more inclined to just lay out a fact as to what needs to change and then expect it to be changed and then we can drop it. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have completely uh, violated social boundaries before and uh, you know, I, I think that has in fact shaped some of my policies on it. Yeah, I can imagine with 139,000 tweets, you know, they're probably not all 100% perfect. It, it, it's, it's bound to happen. That's understandable. Are there maybe like two or three rules of thumb that you would probably put in place for, for fans interacting with authors, both in, at cons and social media? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess the real one is just keep in mind that they might, they might not know you. Like, it sounds hugely arrogant to say this, but by reading a book, you can sometimes feel like you know that author really well. Like, reading Joe Abercrombie, like, I, I just felt a very strong connection. And, you know, that was more towards the work than towards him. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you made this thing that I felt such a strong connection to. So some part of that I can't help but feel connection to you, but just keep in mind that that you know they are they are almost definitely thrilled that you had that connection. But like if you just come up and do that, they they don't they they don't know you. So that's like that's like very hard for them to to like match your enthusiasm. So you know just just give them time on that front just be respectful and courteous you know like treat it almost almost like a, a petting zoo or something <laughs> come up to the authors but if they're leery don't chase them <laughs> sort of like that it, it reminds me a bit of the kitten tents that they had at Penny Arcade a couple weeks ago, where you were only allowed to have four people in the tent at a time to pet the kittens anymore, and it would be just too much. So it sounds like that's kind of one of those rules, too. Yeah. So I've got this picture of, of Sam now, because he wore that, that fuzzy bear costume when he was drinking his Asahi beer. He posted that picture, so now I just see Sam with that costume in a petting zoo for some reason. Huh. <laughs> 
try to get rid of that they, mental they would, image. They would throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely wanted to switch gears and talk about publishing. You've definitely had some experiences over your career so far. One of those being is that you were published in the midst of the recession. Yeah. You, you did... You did mention on your on your Facebook you had some interaction, some thoughts about being published in the midst of that, going from, you know, the thrill of, you know, you sealed the deal, you finally signed your first fantasy book, totally awesome, and then the on and then the economy goes crashing down. So it must have been a, a roller coaster ride when you were just starting your career then. Except roller coaster rides are fun. <laughs> you know, like I'm not saying it wasn't fun, but it it was kind of Like, no one really anticipates the unpredictability of it. When you first start out, like, you sign a deal, and then I I think a lot of people expect, like, great, you know, the hard part's over. But in fact, it's just beginning. Like, you have to... You still have to, like, make people aware that you wrote a book because they forget frequently. And, you know, it's like... It's it's still it's still kind of crazy when people who have been following me on Twitter for years don't know I write books. <laughs> and you know that that was kind of my fault because for a long time I was very uh I was very nervous about self-promotion. And my mistake there was in listening to people who thought it was tacky or who thought it was awful. And you know, upon reflection, these people who sort of spoke out against self-promotion tended to be very angry and bitter all the time. When in fact, you know, I, I believe the vast majority of readers don't mind self-promotion. And in fact, enjoy being reminded that they, you know, that there are books that they can achieve that they can find. Yeah, the the recession was a difficult difficult time. And, you know, we, I came out of that still being able to sell a new trilogy. So it wasn't that bad, but uh, at the same time, it was like, well, you know, that, that definitely was not, uh, was not the kind of thing I was anticipating. One of the things that I, I noticed, and again, from going to your panels and such at, at conventions, and that's a misconception with a lot of new authors, is the idea that you get a publisher and you stick with that publisher and you've actually had a few different publishers now. I was hoping you'd be willing to sort of illuminate the process of how that happens, how an author ends up with different publishers. Yeah, I I will go as far as I, I mean, I I shouldn't say that. It's not like there is a, a big secret or anything. In a lot of ways, it's like dating. You know, you just find people that, you know, maybe are not a good fit for you at that point in your life. Like, we were originally published with Pyre books, and, you know, I still I still believe that Pyre is a very good publisher, and I, I had a great time with them, but by the time I w- was producing City Stained Red, we had sort of both had different ideas about what what we wanted to do with this with this trilogy so uh, my agent and I found that our ideas sort of matched more closely with Orbit and you know I'm extremely happy at Orbit so the truth is you know it, it there's no like real interesting answer to that it's just like sometimes 
a new publisher is a better fit for what you're trying to do. And it ends up being the project that sort of leads you to the house you end up staying with. Right. And, you know, like with each new trilogy, sometimes you'll think like, oh, yes, you know, I'm, I'm happy with this trilogy's with this publisher's commitment to me. So uh, I'll, I'll re-up, as it were. You mentioned with, with the marketing and the self-promotion, what are three rules or three things that you think or, or that you give to new authors who are maybe starting on that path and, and trying to figure out promotion and, and uh, social media? Oh boy, you know, the arch rule, the arch rule about uh, self-publishing and self-promotion, this, is, this goes to all publishers, not just self-publishers. Self there is a difference between advertising on your space and advertising on someone else's space. So like some of the, one of the greatest pieces of advice about self-promotion I ever got came from Brian McClellan, author of the Powder Mage trilogy. I, I was uh, doing like buy my book gags and you know, he said he really liked them. And I said, yeah, but I, I guess, I guess I need to watch them in case anyone, you know, gets upset with them. And Brian said, if they get upset with them, they can unfollow you. Like that's their, that's their problem. And your Twitter is your space. Like they came to see you. You can say anything you want there. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought that was very poignant. Like the only time self-promotion really irritates me is when someone will come over and market directly to me. Like if I, if I have just like not asked at all and I'm, you know, I've given no indication that I am interested, an author will come over and say like, oh, here's my book. And I'm like, great. <laughs> you know, good, good thing you, good thing you told me. Now I know. So it's like, uh, it's like saying, buy my book on your Twitter page. That's fine. Like that's that's your space. You should and you can and should self-promote to the best of your abilities on your space. But getting in other people's spaces, going on their Twitter feed and promoting, that's different. It's the difference between, like, you know, being at a market stall and going door-to-door -door salesmaning. Like, very few people like a door-to-door -door salesman. They show up, you're not interested in what they have, and they are interrupting you. But, you know, you go to a market, you kind of expect to see people, you know, talking up their wares there. So that's, that's my most important rule. This doesn't happen very often, but it happens enough that it needs to be stressed. Never do an automatic DM to new followers. <laughs> like, there, there are... This is a very small industry. People talk. And I have absolutely no problem just, like... If I, uh, if you, uh, if I follow you and I get an automatic DM, I have absolutely zero problem unfollowing you, blocking you, burning your name to the ground, and <laughs> salting the earth in its wake. Because it was, like, I, I, I don't, I don't view my readers as marks. 
you know, like I don't, you know, we're here, we're here to talk. We're here, you know, they're here because they enjoy my books. I, I don't want to make them feel like all I care about from them is their money. And, you know, I don't like that being made to feel like that either. So like when someone, when an author makes it clear that they only view me as a mark, I'm like, oh God, that's, that's a huge turnoff for me. The auto DMs, it's, it's almost like auto spam, isn't it? Yeah. It's auto spam done under the pretense of marketing. And, you know, spam is marketing, but it's not effective marketing. It's just hugely annoying. And I, I've never, ever, ever met anyone for whom that actually, that actually works. It makes me long for the, the, the 80s and the 90s where things were so much less complicated and so much less social etiquette to adhere to. Yeah, but man, like, if you think it's bad now, in another 10 years when we have an entirely new social media format, it's <laughs> even crazier. But, like, you know, I, I, I still don't think there are too many social etiquette things. Like, above all else, like Will Wheaton said, it's crucial to not be a dick. Yes. And usually so long as you can observe that fact, you're usually fine. You know, in my opinion. But, you know, just uh, just respect people's space is does not seem like a huge a huge social etiquette problem for me. You do have a short story called The Name of the Beast that appears in the Dangerous Women anthology. Yeah. Yeah. Any plan any plans for short fiction in the future? Yes, actually. I am writing a few little novellas that are linked to The City Stained Red that are just sort of like bonus content. And, you know, they, they can be read by themselves. They are self-contained. But, you know, for people who really like The, who really like the City Stained Red, there will be some little extra content that they can get. And it will follow the story of Deneos, one of the characters, before he adopted that name. You know, it, it's sort of his story about growing up in the streets of Sierra Jal, which is the city of the city stand red. And that's that's pretty much what I've been toying with lately. How far along are you in finishing up the sequel to uh, City Stained Red? And what's next on your horizons after this trilogy? The second book in that trilogy, The Mortal Tally, is done and it's off to copy editors right now. I'm working on the third book, and you know, we are, you know, right now, I can't quite think beyond just that third book. There will definitely be more trilogies, more books, like I am literally never, ever going to stop writing. But as for what exactly I'm going to write, I don't quite know just yet. So, you know, we'll, we'll, undoubtedly it'll probably be more fantasy, like I, I don't really intend... I don't really intend to start going into, like, mainstream literature. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I would have the patience for it. You do have a pretty cool comic at samsykes.com. It's called Flesh and Blood, Steel and Gold. Yeah. Uh, people can drop by just to check that out. Uh, any plans for any future comics or any TV options or talk of that? Oh, God. You know, bless you for thinking I sell an- that there might be TV interest, but, uh, you know, no, <laughs> not on that front. 
I would love to do more comics. The person who did uh, Golden, Golden Steel, Flesh and Blood, Ashley Cope, who is the author and artist of Unsounded, which it, you can find at unsoundedcomic.com, which I hugely recommend. It's one of my very favorite comics. It's, it's just totally fantastic. The stars kind of aligned for us to work on that comic. Like, she was free, and I needed a promotional material because I, I had that comic made because I got very tired about trying to explain what my what my book was about. So if you if you were dissatisfied by my explanation in this podcast, uh, <laughs> samsykes.com slash comic and you will find you will find a, a more succinct explanation. Unfortunately, I don't see us doing another one in the immediate future because her webcomic has like really taken off and you know it's demanding pretty much all her attention and that's you know that's that's one of those uh, one of those upside downside things like I'm really really thrilled for her and I'm glad she's doing great but you know at the same time there's that moment like ah oh, god damn it if you were doing poorly I could have <laughs> I could I could have hijacked you for another comic but you know right now I'm I'm very happy with what we created that said I would absolutely love to do more comics it was a huge blast and I really enjoyed it you're mentioning your comic and just the descriptions of the characters Kataria yeah I love your descriptions of Kataria how do you pronounce, and I've been, I've been working my head around it, but I'm going to ask you anyways, how do you pronounce her species? Uh, shicked. Shicked, okay. Yeah. Sounds like a curse word. Were, were you sort of going for it? And, and that's actually, I was wondering if that was maybe, maybe the way to, to pronounce it. Were you, were you sort of aiming for, a, for sort of a, an, an elf with teeth, or was shicked just something you came up with? The name shicked was something I came up with. I re- you know, like, a lot of my writing is about toying with tropes. I, I love the tropes of fantasy. And elves are one of my favorite tropes. But And, you know, if you look in Dragon Age and The Witcher, you see a lot of people toying with the elf trope. And in those, in those stories, they are second-class citizens, which is an interesting take on, you know, the Tolkien idea that elves were ethereal and beautiful. I I liked the idea of elves as sort of xenophobic, dirty, and angry. With teeth. So, with teeth, yes. yes. I, I really like their teeth. So the idea is that shicks are sort of very aggressively territorial, and, you know, they, they are sort of like elves, but at the same time they adhere to a tribal structure, and they don't, they don't respect political boundaries. And, you know, they, you know, arguably rightfully view the land as being theirs that other people, other races are intruding upon. And this leads to a lot of interesting conflict. <laughs> so, yeah, like Katari is one of my very favorites to write. So I'm, I'm glad you like her. I, I, I love there's one scene that I was reading where she jumps on Link and attacks him. And it's it's great because I hadn't read Aeon's Gate. One of the nice things is that your descriptions and your description of Kataria in, you know, in particular gives you pretty well everything you need to know about that character in a couple of words. Yeah, pretty much. You know, for that example, like the the only the most important thing you need to know about Kataria is that she does view violence as an acceptable retort 
for an argument, and I I was pretty I was pretty pleased with that scene. Now, speaking of messing with tropes, are there any new tropes or trends that you're seeing maybe emerging in fantasy today? And are there any maybe new books or authors of note that you are seeing doing exciting things in the genre today? Boy, that's a that's a good question. Like, I feel everyone has kind of a hangover from some of the more morbid stories out there. And I feel I feel like with Game of Thrones becoming so huge we all are kind of like winded from books where everyone dies and everyone <laughs> suffers all the time. There's always going to be a place for that. But, you know, like a few years ago, this was like huge with Prince of Thorns sort of guiding the narrative all the time. And uh, pretty much every book was getting rightfully or wrongfully described as grimdark. Uh, and, you know, that, that was an interesting time because... Whenever a grimdark conversation would come up, everyone would act like grimdark was an insult or a dirty word, but now it's just sort of one more word we use. If I say grimdark, everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, I don't think anyone's offended anymore by it. They just It's just a, a shorthand way to describe a genre. Like, I've, I've seen some people calling for, like, a return to, like, objectively moral characters and, you know, citing the need that we need to have, you know, strong narrative messages, which I completely disagree with. So I genuinely hope that does not become a trend because holy shit, <laughs> that sounds incredibly boring. So right now I would say that le- the next trend has yet to emerge but that's kind of a good thing because right now it means there's a lot of different things going on right now. You have like traditional grimdark, and that's great. And you have that right alongside uh, like Sanderson stories, who, which you know are sort of quintessential epic fantasy at this point, all mm-hmm. world building and huge sweeping themes. And then at the same time, you've got really out there unique stuff like by Cameron Hurley and alongside that you've still got you know my personal favorite books to read which are the high energy really active voices and you know recently I'm reading Night's Shadow by uh, Sebastian de Castell and it, it's just fantastic and I would love for that to be more of a, a, a more of a trend but I sincerely doubt it will be if only because while you can teach genre norms and tropes, you cannot teach energy. So, as much as I would love there to be more books like that, I, I don't think it's possible. It sounds like almost the trend is for more variety and just, you know, anything goes, if anything. Yeah, yeah and you know, this is kind of a really, this is kind of a really nice place to be for both writers and readers because everyone is sort of in the mood to shop around and see what's out there. You know, eventually another trend will solidify and we'll all complain about it. But right now, like, you go on Reddit, our fantasy, you'll see, like, tons of different books being discussed. And I, I really like that we are at the point where there are so many different books being talked about. And ideally, we should hold on to this for as long as we can. Because when another genre, when another trend does solidify, we're going to hold on to that. 
for a while, and I feel like talk about other books might diminish. So then you you've got four books out. Fifth book is on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one going to be written. So you you've you've been in the industry professionally now for uh, what shy of a decade professionally, or you know like considerably shy of a decade, I guess okay. <laughs> six years or so. A decade ish, somewhere in there. Right. Uh, we'll round up. Twenty years, wherever. <laughs> Over this span, um, you, you've been in the, the muck and the mire. You've been through the ups and the downs. What what sort of lessons have you learned so far from your experience that you might impart to up-and-coming writers coming into the industry? Boy, I would, I would try to answer that. But the truth is, like, I think everyone needs to understand... Or everyone needs to learn these lessons, like, for themselves. You know, there, there are the very obvious lessons of, like, don't compare yourself to other careers. Because they might be on their chapter 20 while you're just on your chapter 1. And it, it, there's no bearing. Like, this is not a, necess- this is not a comp- competitive field. And I would, I would tell you that, except you wouldn't listen. <laughs> but you're going to do that anyways, just like when someone tried to tell me. I didn't listen, and I still do it today. You know, I, it's still good advice, and it's still 100% true, but I just, you know, th- these are just things you learn for yourselves. So I guess my chief advice would be, like, don't be afraid to learn these lessons and don't be afraid to maybe come to terms with the idea that you might, that things will probably get hard. Sam, you've been ridiculously generous with your time today. I think we're coming up. I I think we're coming up on an hour for this interview. Now city stained red is out. Now the next book, the mortal tally is out in March. Yes. That's, that's, um, well, actually, no, it sounds more like January, I think. Oh, okay, cool. Even better. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at my site, <clears throat> samsykes.com. And on Twitter, I am at samsykesswears. But if you're a fella who likes to use Tumblr, I'm at samsykeswear.tumblr.com. You can find me at samsykes on Facebook as well. So I'm, 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 just, I'm all over the place. Just look for Sam Sykes. You'll probably find me. City Stained Red, a lot of fun, chaos, adventure, and some very dark and sharp humor. So, you know, it's a fun series recommended to all our readers out there. One other question I did want to toss into is, could we maybe talk about when the Aeon's Gate trilogy will be available on Kindle? Soon, soon. (laughs) The answer is that it's getting a facelift. Uh, It was on Kindle, and now it is not, and it is sort of getting getting rejiggered and you know once i have information i will share it with everyone but it is coming okay good okay great awesome sam thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today it was great to have a conversation with you and best of luck to you with the moral tally and the bring down heaven series and uh, looking forward to all the good things coming from your direction yeah thank you so much thank you so much sam for joining us it's been fun and i'm really enjoying the city stayed red Oh, fantastic. I hope you continue to enjoy it. I'm pretty sure it doesn't get worse.
Katari is in there, so I should be set. Oh yeah, no, she's in so she's fine. <laughs> Visit Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing for show notes, links, reviews, special guests, videos, and more. Email us at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing at gmail.com. Sound effects from the Free Sounds Project. Music by Asymmetry, found at musically.com. No authors were seriously damaged in the making of this podcast. Thank you.